0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit, Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozikov, global marketing lead at win by night and product manager and university-level faculty by day. What does Cheryl Grease, an industry leader with 25 years of experience consulting with EY, IBM, and PWC, say is the secret to innovation? It all starts with your why. In fact, in her work as the America's Solution Leader at EY, driving purpose-led transformation, Cheryl helps companies discover and activate their why. In addition to the Solutions Leader role, Cheryl is also the North America Executive Sponsor of EY Entrepreneurial Winning Women Program. Throughout her career, she has served as the lead transformation partner on strategic enterprise programs to optimize clients' business models, processes, and providing support to business systems to deliver significant and measurable returns. Cheryl was also an adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon University, where she taught a graduate course on transformational leadership. In her many years of experience, one key theme stays true. Cheryl helps clients transform. For those that may not know, EY is a consulting firm specializing in anything from assurance, strategy, and transactions, and have helped some of the most iconic brands not only find their purpose, but also have this reflect on their bottom line. Part of the meaningful work that EY does is supporting all people and companies to be positioned to be their best, and this includes WIN, women, and innovation. We are incredibly grateful to have EY be a key sponsor for the organization and podcast this year, helping us close the gender gap in innovation industries and in turn, build a better future for everyone. In addition to today's podcast, EY has also partnered with us on our very first industry report called Pioneers. We feature our findings on gender, leadership, and innovation in large and small companies alike, and highlight some of the key voices in the industry. In addition to this podcast, you may learn more about Cheryl, EY, and how they're spearheading these efforts worldwide in the report, now available on our site. Without further ado, I present to you the podcast with Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Thank you, Zoya. I'm thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to have you. So Cheryl, I don't have to tell you, but your career spans almost 30 years in which you've been on leadership and strategy teams from EY to IBM, as well as PWC and General Electric. In that time, you've ascended multiple corporate ladders and shattered several glass ceilings. Was there always a master plan or a target you were hoping to hit, or were you kind of figuring it out as you went along?
1: For me, you know, I do this thing where um, I I every year I, I look at my lessons in leadership and I think about what I learned that year and how it's going to change my behavior or will forever alter my behavior. And back in the early 90s, when I joined G, General Electric, um, straight out of grad school, one of the things that I did was say, I'm going to plan my career. Um, and I developed a, a framework, you know, coming out of grad school, you love frameworks. And I developed a framework to help me think about how I was gonna be very planful about my career. And every year around the June timeframe, I reevaluate that framework for the, for the coming year. So I'd, I'd have to say I'm in the planful category um, where I really think about the things that I wanna be known for and the roles that I'd like to attain in my career and why.
0: And so speaking to the why, in your work, uh, you drive purpose-led transformation and you help companies discover and activate their why. So before we get into the client stuff and the innovation stuff, my question is, what is your why?
1: So this was um, this was a very interesting discovery exercise. I had the privilege of working with Simon Sinek and his team as we brought that relationship into our firm and, and I went through a why discovery exercise with one of his leaders that uh, was one of the most cathartic and kind of rewarding things because with Simon, you learned that your why is something that comes from some event in your early life. And for me, it came from an event when I was in second grade uh, with my second grade teacher, Mrs. Ka'aloa. My father was in the Navy and we moved quite a bit. We moved from Connecticut to Hawaii and I was this curly head, freckly face, very pale skinned person with wool clothing showing up in a school in Hawaii. And I was so different. And uh, my my teacher assigned us this assignment saying, tell us a little bit about your parents, one of your parents and what they do. And so I came in with this report that I absolutely studied because I wanted to dazzle everybody in the class and make my new friends. And I proceeded to tell everybody that my father was a professional embezzler. (laughs) And he was in the Navy. He was a Navy captain. And I got the word embezzler out of that Encyclopedia Britannica way before Google. Right. And uh, um, I thought it was an interesting word because the word centered around the fact that you move a lot if you're an embezzler. So I thought, well, that's what we do. Oh, my God. Everybody in the class proceeds to laugh at me. And uh, they weren't laughing with me. They were laughing at me. And Mrs. Ka'aloa, this beautiful teacher, she changed my trajectory and friendships in that classroom with just a few words by saying, my goodness, you're different. How wonderful. And so my discovery exercise uh, was, I seek out those who are different so that they can be heard, helped or healed, so that others will benefit from their difference. And that's my
0: purpose. Incredible. A very frequent keyword that is in a lot of these projects and programs and teams that you've managed is transformation. So thinking beyond your personal why, what do you think is the value of purpose-led transformation and, and how do you think it helps companies achieve what is typically business goals?
1: For years and years and years, I studied a, uh, uh, an amazing thought leader, John Cotter. John Cotter led with sense of urgency, you had to have a crisis or a sense of urgency to galvanize people around a problem. And I built a a curriculum at Carnegie Mellon where I taught a leadership course at Carnegie Mellon. And I really centered around his principles that you have to start with something that will galvanize a human to a problem to be able to transform and taught sense of urgency, sense of urgency. And then I moved into EY and my first job with EY was I was selected as the program leader for Vision 2020 by our chairman and um, lead operations officer. And my job was to implement our purpose. My job was to make purpose come to life and we had no real crisis we were dealing with. So I I couldn't take a crisis and turn it into something that would galvanize people. And what I learned very quickly was it was much easier to lead a transformation through inspiration than through urgency and crisis. I'm sure people are, are gonna, as we've seen in COVID-19, everybody's getting through this crisis and moving very swiftly through the crisis, but it's not it's not behavior that's sustainable over time. People can't wake up every day in crisis mode. And so for me, the biggest thing coming out of Purpose led Transformation is, it's less about a sense of urgency and more about a sense of inspiration And how you get a human to move through a transformation in a very inspiring way because you're giving them something that they can connect with and connect you and the company together to to really drive transformation that's sustainable.
0: And then when you think about change management as a whole, a lot of the times it fails and a lot of the reasons that are cited about it failing are the fact that on a day-to-day purpose, people just can't get the the small tactical things done. So how do you really ensure on a tactical level the job gets done? Well,
1: there's all kinds of techniques to get, uh, we bring in big program management and we map out the plans and we identify deliverables that will help move the program along um and we really run those programs at a tactical day-to-day level. The trick with staying on board with those tactics and moving the tactics along is that vision and keeping people connected with the vision. Because you can you can tactically get through a program and you haven't changed anybody's life. Right. You've just done a bunch of things. And so to me it's connecting every day, connecting people to that vision and the tactics and integrating both the future and the current day-to-day and making mid-course corrections in your tactics.
0: So another title and keyword in your career trajectory is also the word leader. You've led teams of over 200 partners at a time. So let's talk about leadership. What are your expectations of leadership and what are some key values that you think are important to be in a leader?
1: My expectations of leadership, well, I have the leaders that I work for and then me as a leader. Um, For the leaders that I work for, it's interesting. I was reflecting on the things that have set me back in my career and it's usually associated with a leader that I've worked for. Um, And the things that have propelled me in my career are because of the leaders I have surrounded myself with. So what I expect from the leaders that I work with is absolute candor. I expect them to say and do exactly what they say and what they do match i expect that they're going to help me with the vision that i'm responsible for and make sure that they're telling me when i'm off course candor is critical to me like you can't you can't wake up and just think you're on track you need to know you're on track and you have to have people around you that are willing to give you feedback that can take you to the next level in your career. And those are the best leaders I have absolutely worked with. I have worked with several leaders where I don't find them candid. In fact, I've worked with some divisive leaders in my career that will absolutely tell you one thing and do another. And um, that's where you have to really know when you're in that situation. You have to really go with your gut know when you're in that situation. And you have to figure out how to move yourself to another place. So I've had that experience. Me as a leader, the things that I think are really important, and I asked my team this before I I got on this uh, interview, I I asked them to give me a few words to describe me, and here's what I heard. I heard that I was passionate, I heard that I was decisive, and I heard that I was a connector. And I think those are things that, one, I'm very proud that, that my team thinks that way of me, but I think those are things that I work at. Every day I wanna go to work and I wanna have a smile on my face, and I want to convince people that this is the best job that, that they have. It's awesome that they want to be here, that they love what they do, and that we're going we're gonna to tackle big, complex problems together and show the world that we can build a better working world, which is EY's purpose. At the same time, I've learned early in my career that the best leaders I've ever worked with can gather information quickly and make a decision. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sailor. Um, so I've sailed across, um, oceans. I've done some really amazing things. And the thing that always made me crazy was when I was on a sailboat with a skipper that wanted to make decisions through consensus. So I really appreciate you cannot skipper by consensus management. When the winds are howling and the seas are coming at you, you need to make a decision and you need your crew to come along with you in that decision and know their role, and know how to perform it, and get you through the the crisis that might be ahead of you, or win the race in comm So decisions, decisiveness is absolutely a critical trait, in my opinion, of being a leader, and knowing when to make those decisions and how to collect that information. And then the third thing I would say about being a leader is this this whole job of of a connector, having a really diverse network, particularly in today's environment, is critical to solving some of the problems that are coming at us today. And I believe you as a leader connecting your people and connecting other people to each other to solve problems and to um, extend your reach is a critical aspect of leadership. You're never going to have all the answers, but boy, if you've got a great network and connect others to that network and continue to extend it, your chance of really doing some big things and solving bigger problems and having somebody to rely on when you need them is uh, goes up immeasurably.
0: I did want to go back to something you said earlier, and that's this kind of fine line between consensus and maybe inclusivity. Um, when you do have to be the leader and to be the one to ultimately make that decision, you do want to make sure that your fe- your team does feel included. So how do you kind of maneuver that? How do you decide when to really take a seat and listen and include people in the decision? And when do you decide when it's really, you know, my turn to make a call?
1: Um, stay connected to your team on a regular basis. Like never get out of touch with your team. To me, it's always knowing the problems that are, uh, that are looming. And I have regular checkpoints with my team daily, different sets of my teams, et cetera. Um, when there's a problem that's, that's looming or has just come my way, the first thing I do is reach out to the team and collect data. If, if they feel like I'm making the wrong decision, I ask them. I, I give them permission to say, this may not be the way you want to go. And I'm always impressed by my team members have stopped me from making bad decisions because they say there's another piece of data you need as you make this decision. So I give them permission to tell me when, when they think I'm going on the wrong path on my decision. But at the same time, I asked them to come with me on these decisions all the way. So I don't think, I, I don't think I'm ever out of touch with my team. I hope I'm not.
0: <laughs> they may listen to this and say I am. Only <laughs> one way to find out, right? Yeah. Um, I was wondering whether before you became a leader or while you became a leader, uh, you heard all these different truths or myths about leadership that it needs to look a certain way or be a certain way. Um, what are some of the ways that you feel like that's been disproven?
1: Well, it's interesting. I, I mentioned that my father was in the Navy, and my dad would always say, "No" is a perfectly acceptable answer. And I, of course, as a as a kid, would say, "Why?" You know, I never bought into that with my father. But but to me, leadership isn't about having all the answers. And I think that is a myth that all our leaders are spot on. They they're, they have all the answers. Leadership is about conveying confidence in the decisions that you make and being able to communicate why you're making those decisions appropriately. But uh, it's also fessing up that if you've made a decision and it's the wrong decision, that you can quickly make a mid-course correction and explain to everybody where you're going next and why, and the data that you've collected. We're human. I mean, you're gonna make mistakes and you, you when you make a mistake, you need to be accountable for the fact that you made a mistake. Um, I learned from another leader who I think who's with UI now, Uh, Early in my career at PwC, we were working together on a big project at the Walt Disney Company in the middle of a a very difficult decision we needed to make on the project team where the client was not happy with us. She asked the question, the client asked the question, who's accountable? And I was a brand new partner and we we couldn't figure out how to make her happy. Just, she was just not going to be happy with the decision that had been made and, uh, he, he, in the middle of this room, in a very angry situation, stood up and said, I'm accountable. And everybody calmed down. And he didn't make that decision, but he was accountable. And I learned so much from him in that moment. You as a leader are ultimately accountable for the decisions that are made by your team. And as such, when the decisions are, are wrong or what have you, you have to take accountability and you have to move it to the next level.
0: So then looking back a little bit and thinking about your own career, and if you would have done something differently in your career, if Cheryl today could speak to Cheryl at a different part or an earlier part of her career, what would you say to her?
1: Super early in my career, I would say you own your balance. Nobody owns your balance, but you, Um, and not everything matters. So I would have been a lot more planful about the time I was spending on myself earlier in my career, because uh, earlier in my career as I was making partner, the only thing that mattered was work to me. And I, I lost out on some things that uh, I think I would have gone back and done, done a little differently. And I added, um, when I talk about that career development framework that I kind of did for myself, one of the things that I added to it was being much more planful about my own balance and how I, uh, how I needed to, to take care of myself. More recently, I think I would say go with your gut a little bit more. You know, I, I've been in, in business now for well over 30 years. And you your acumen on on knowing the signals and how to read those signals. And I think uh, I, I reflect on, on five years ago some of the things that I did. And uh, I, I would tell you that I, I'm very good at going with my gut on some things and it hasn't failed me in the last five years.
0: So something else that's very unique in your journey is actually that you're a woman. So you're a woman in so many different rooms and industries that are male-dominated, male-driven, male-led. How do you think your journey perhaps different from your male peers, both for the better and for the worse?
1: I was thinking about this. and I'm sure you all have read the book, Lean In with Sheryl Sandberg, and one of the things and have seen her TED Talk and so forth, and I really resonated with her comments on likability and the fact that you know great studies and so forth, but the fact that um, success and likability are negatively correlated for women and positively correlated for men. I certainly experienced that throughout my career, and I think um, you you work and maybe this was a factor of moving so much as a child, but you work very hard as a female to be likable so that your success can be recognized a little bit better. And that you don't have to do all of your own tooting of your horn. It's much easier for a man to toot his horn. And I appreciate it. Um, I try to make it very easy for the women on my team to toot their horn. And if they don't, I'm going to toot, toot it for them. In fact, we did this this morning for somebody who great, gave a great presentation to my boss last night. Uh, we did a lot of tooting of her horn. But it, it's, it's, it's hard for a woman to stand up and go, look what I did. I mean, a man, look how great I am. I think it's our job as leaders to make it easier for you to toot your horn and for success and like ability to be positively correlated for women. Um, That'd be one thing.
0: As you've progressed in your own career, more women have taken roles of leadership. And that's, of course, really, really exciting to see. But how do you think your leadership and general corporate leadership evolve with more women in places of influence?
1: That is so interesting. It's such an interesting question. E, EY absolutely has a focus on um, advancing women. I mean, we advance women entrepreneurs. It's another role I have within the firm. We advance um, this year, I think 38% of our new partner class were women. Were women. Um, we are working really hard. We had a fast forward initiative that we launched in Davos in 2015, which was Women Fast Forward. Uh, where we really like to see parity in leadership roles around the world. Um, So we're taking this. This is really important to our firm, our male leaders, our female leaders, really important because of the diversity of leadership styles, the diversity of thinking. Um, It's something that we're all taking very, very seriously. And on my own team, I have have an absolute uh, 50-50 split between male and female leaders. In fact, I've had to bring male leaders on to add more diversity to my team recently. Um, and it's been great. It's, it's amazing to see the different leadership styles and how they're all playing together. Um, but I think it's, it's critical that you have to take a, a really deliberate focus on how do you develop a diverse team and make sure that they're collaborating and contributing in such a way that is unique to their own style, but beneficial to the entire team.
0: And then going into some of those initiatives that you yourself have launched and worked on, you serve as the North America Executive Sponsor of EY's Entrepreneurial Winning Women Program. So how did this opportunity come about and what does it aim to achieve?
1: A few years back, the executive sponsorship role became available and I, somebody assumed I was too busy for it. And even though I was working with that group of women and very passionate about it, Somebody made an assumption and the woman who filled that role got promoted into another role and did not have, she admittedly said, I, I don't have time to do these two roles because the sponsorship role is, is an additional hat you wear in, in, in addition to your leadership hat. And I said, well, I'm not going to let that happen again. So as soon as I found out that she would be vacating the role, I went to the gentleman who was responsible and knocked down his door and said, I want this role. I'm very active with this community. It's very—it's something I'm super passionate about. I will make time for it. Don't assume I don't have time for it. This is something that I really want to do. And after I cornered him in a room and he cried mercy, um, <laughs> I, I ended up being our North American executive women sponsor. And it is such an exciting place to be. I've never seen this level of sisterhood. I think that's what they all pride themselves when they join the community. Sisterhood, networking, collaboration, there to solve each other's problems, help each other scale, think about their strategies, what's happening in this crisis, how can they come together to help each other through it. I learned so much from this group of women, and my goal is to make sure that they get the best of our firm every day to help them in their mission, because these women are solving some massive problems for the world doing some amazing things. They are such purposeful people. So it's it's to me, it, it gets me going in the morning and I feel very, very lucky to, to have that role. But to your point, I had to go get that role because people make assumptions. Our goals are to mentor women through the evolution of their growth stages and help them really reach their full potential, providing them access to Private equity to venture capitalists to each other to um, experiences of how do you go public to how do you scale how do you think about your supply chain how do you but uh, really provide them a program a learning program if you will in a community where not only can they learn from others but they can learn from each other and um, our goal is to to make sure that they're successful in the mission that they have to to grow their companies and fulfill their purpose.
0: And so how do you see the program being scaled and what are the opportunities to be, get involved with it and where do you see it going?
1: Uh, we have a class every year where we have our our winning women class and because of COVID-19 we canceled we, we postponed our program. And so our goal this year is to double the size of next year's class. And it's it's really about reaching out and finding entrepreneurial winning women that Meet, meet the criteria of the program, which, which we can send out to everybody, but meet the criteria of the program and wanna be a part of this community and want the the advantages of what the network has to offer. Um, so our goal is to double, not miss a beat. We missed a beat because of COVID-19 and we're gonna make up for that beat. It's at least double the size or better.
0: Incredible. Well, I'm very excited for, to see that happen. Um, Me too something that you discussed and and has come up several times is this notion of self-promotion and research actually shows that women don't self-promote as much as men do and that that is perhaps a reason as to why the gender gap is maybe taking longer to close what are your views around self-promotion what where does the balance lie between collective good versus individual advancement
1: it is really it's it is really hard somebody sent me a beautiful note saying, hey, thank you so much for what you did yesterday i I sat on that note and I thought I want my boss to know that that somebody really appreciated something that I did so I sent it to him and he sent me a note back immediately saying, thank you so much. I mean here I am 30 years of leadership and I, I sent a note to my boss saying, hey look how good I am <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, and he appreciated it you know he appreciated it. I think a lot of the times we don't do our own harms. Because we don't want people to think we're self-promoting, I think it's—I think it's something that your leadership. Sh- I know I appreciate it when people send it to me. I think you need to feel safer. You need to—you need to potentially even ask your boss, "Hey, do you mind if I send these to you?" Because I want you to know that that these things are happening. I'm sure he or she will say, "Absolutely, send those on." Um, but the other thing that I'll tell you—and I built this in—so I have my ten rules of leadership. Um, Over the last couple of years, I built a new one in, which is really, it is your job as a leader to amplify others, particularly females. A lot of times the voices in the room, female voices get, I don't know what it is, whether it's the volume or it's a pitch or something or what have you, but our voices don't always get heard. Um, So you could say the same thing that a man is saying in the room and you didn't get heard. So what I like to do is that when I sit in the room, I'm really listening for what I just heard and then I'm amplifying it. So I might say I really I I just want to emphasize the point that Zoya said and make sure that you all understand that she's really driving to a result that we need in our business right now. Let's talk more about it. Um, But I think it's really, really incumbent on us to amplify particularly female voices so that they can be heard.
0: And you have your ten year uh, ten rules of leadership. Are there any other ones that you think would be really important to highlight in this moment to our listeners today?
1: One that strikes me is never rule yourself out. It is a it is a female trait of ours where when we're going through decision making process, and I get this all the time. I'll get a young senior manager that will come to me that's that's contemplating do they where do they want to go in their career, and they start their sentence with. I don't think I wanna be a partner. Well, I got lots of people that wanna be a partner. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, okay, well, what do you wanna be? And I just ruled her out. She didn't wanna be a partner. So I just ruled her out. And then two, three years later, they'll come to me and say, how come I'm not up for partner? So you have to think about what you say and you have to be very, very careful. You you could very quickly rule yourself out because as you advance to leadership roles, there are only so many roles and you should never rule yourself out. Even if you don't want the role, talk to your husband, your wife, talk to your significant other about that. um, And then come to the discussion with, tell me how to be a partner and what I'm gonna need to do. But don't start with, I don't think I want to. I think another one that I think is really, really important is always lead with a point of view. This one I learned early in my career: when you go into a conversation, shape your point of view going into that conversation, so that you can better gather information and better gather knowledge and insight that contributes to your point of view. Do not go into a conversation, particularly if it's in your calendar in advance, without having some kind of point of view about the the topic that you're going in for. I see too many too many people come into conversations. Where they've lost the ability to lead because they had no point of view in that room. So I think that's another really important one. And the last one I would leave you with is um, your family and your health always come first. And we are leaders are human entities, human human run businesses. They will always understand your need to put family and health first when you need to put family and health first. Otherwise, you're in the wrong place.
0: And I think this year taught us that if anything at all, no question. And if our listeners do, which they absolutely should, uh, want to hear more about um, your principles of leadership, where can they learn more about them?
1: I should publish them. I haven't I, I give them as speeches periodically, but I'll make a commitment to you, Zoya, that I will get them
0: published. Sounds sounds great to me. And before I do let you go today, I did want to ask you one last innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one year from now, one month from now, and 10 years from now? My goodness, that's a big question.
1: <laughs> Myself and my industry, well, let me start with my industry. We're in the professional consulting business, and one month from now, I believe our industry is going to start to pivot to much more of a solutions mindset. And then one year from now, I think our industry is going to be delivering technology-based solutions that solve bigger problems with many more um, types of capability, everything from leveraging, you've probably heard about what EY is doing in the neurodiversity space, but leveraging neurodiversity, leveraging um, artificial intelligence Leveraging big data um, and helping solve these really big problems like vaccine distribution. Um, I see our industry is critical to solving some of those problems. And 10 years from now, I think what we're gonna see is professional services are more embedded in the fabric of business. It's it's less of paying for consulting and more of it is part of the business. It'll be it'll pick up major portions of what business needs to be able to operate efficiently, with less risk, with more trust, with more transparency, think it'll be just embedded in the fabric. For me, I would say one month from now, I'm going to be back from sailing in Tahiti. I'm actually venturing on a plane with a mask for about 16 hours. With a group of people, we figure the best way to social distance is on a boat in the water somewhere. And I'm super excited about actually getting out with um, people that I love and care for. Um, So that'll be one month from now. I would say one year from now, I expect that um, we will have proven out a few of those solutions that we're talking about that will be demonstrating our brand and building a better working world in a, in a really big way to the, uh, to the world. Um, And then I'd say 10 years from now, I'll probably be on a sailboat in the Mediterranean somewhere with my significant other, periodically dropping in somewhere to teach a class or do something super
0: fun. Incredible. Well, I hope to catch you on the high seas at some point between now and the next 10 years. Um, And thank you so much for joining us today, Cheryl. It's really been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate the um, opportunity. It's been great to speak with you.
0: Thanks for listening to win win brought to you by win women and innovation and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit WomenInInnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.